0: We live in a world where everything is about us. But the more we focus on us, the more we focus on our fears, our pain, our problems. What if we changed our focus? What if we lived generously? A generous life. Have you ever taught a child to share? It's interesting because a lot of times they get the idea. You tell them, hey, your friends are coming over. They're not gonna be coming with their own toys. You need to let your friends use and enjoy the toys in your room. And you can see the wheels turning and them processing the idea of sharing. And most of the time they get the idea. Hey, okay, my friends are coming. I have to let them use my toys. But when it comes down to it, when their friend actually shows up and they have to hand over their favorite toy, you can see the look in their eyes, the hesitancy, the reluctancy, the fear, the confusion, the disappointment, sometimes even the sadness or anger of having to share their stuff. It's not just kids that struggle with sharing. We've been talking for the last few weeks about what it looks like to have a generous life. And I think as followers of Jesus, most of us understand the idea that generosity is part of what we're called to do. What God has called us to be is generous with our resources. And we understand the idea, but when it comes down to actually practicing generosity, a lot of times we miss the boat on our attitude. We get the mechanics of it, we get the idea of it, but our attitude about our generosity, the way we use our resources for the benefit of others, can be a little off the mark. In the New Testament, there's a set of letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that are correspondence between the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth. And he seemed to have back and forth communication with them, responding to questions they have and addressing specific situations that they were facing. And in 2nd Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about the generosity, not just the amount of money they're supposed to be giving or how they're supposed to be using their money, but the attitude that they're supposed to have when they give. This is what Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. First, Paul kind of describes a couple ways he doesn't want them to give. He describes someone who's a reluctant giver. You know, someone who's giving. They're going through the motions, but they're hesitant to do so. They don't really want to hand over their resources. In another letter that Paul wrote, this one's to a person he had mentored named Timothy. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." And when I think about someone who's a reluctant giver, I see this tendency that we have to love to accumulate stuff. But when it comes to actually using that stuff for the benefit of others, then it's hard for us to let go. It's hard for us to use those things because we actually crave the stuff and the feelings that it gives us. The love of the money is what's driving that wedge between what we know we should be doing and what we actually are doing. And so there's this reluctancy sometimes when we give. And what I see is that reluctant givers will give, but they complain about it. The other kind of giver that Paul talks about when he writes to the Corinthian church is the obligatory giver, the one who gives under compulsion. And oftentimes this giver is giving because they want to be noticed for giving. They want to make sure that everyone sees how generous they're being, how much money they're throwing behind a project, how much stuff they're giving to someone in need. And they want all the attention for this. And Jesus warned us about this attitude in our giving in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So instead of being a reluctant giver or a compulsory giver, Paul says that we should be cheerful givers. He says God loves a cheerful giver. Well, what does it look like to be a cheerful giver? Well, in this letter to the Corinthian church, Paul's already given them an example of cheerful givers. In the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, he talks about the churches in Macedonia. And this is how he describes their situation. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. There's this sort of uh, interesting tension that's going on in the churches in Macedonia. They are experiencing extreme material poverty. They don't have a lot. They're going through a really difficult time themselves. Even though they're experiencing this, when they heard about the needs of others, they were so moved that Paul describes their actions, their attitude, their behavior as a wealth of generosity. They didn't have much, but they gave a lot. He goes on to talk about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and says this, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul says that they gave in a couple different ways here. First off, they gave sacrificially. He says they gave beyond their means. They didn't have a lot of resources, but they went above and beyond. They dug out everything they could to help someone who was in a worse situation than they were. They gave sacrificially. My guess is that this gift, this generosity, this giving of their resources really impacted their lives because they didn't have a lot to give. But he also says that they gave with joy and they gave eagerly. He even says here that they begged for the opportunity to give. Now, Paul's writing to the Corinthian Christians, and Corinthian Christians were materially wealthy, Yet they needed some encouragement to be as generous as the Macedonian Christians who were materially poor. The Macedonian Christians, they gave sacrificially and eagerly. They were the example, the epitome of cheerful givers. In Paul's day, Corinth was the capital of Achaia. And it was a province that included most of what we call Greece. And most of the maritime trade over the seas between Rome and Asia Minor passed through the Isthmus of Corinth. That meant that they got to take a cut from everything that passed through. Corinth in the ancient world was known for its prosperity. People who lived in Corinth were by and large wealthy. Now, most of us probably don't think of ourselves as very wealthy. You may not think that you have a lot of resources. but let me describe what rich people do. Rich people pay other people to make their food. Rich people have rooms in their house that's just for their stuff. Rich people pay for entertainment, Rich people travel for fun. Rich people can even control the weather in their homes. Now, most of us don't think of ourselves as rich, but all of those things describe most of us. In fact, the poorest 5% in this country are estimated to be wealthier than 70% of the rest of the world. Economically speaking, we have much more in common with the Corinthian church than we do the churches of Macedonia. And there's this interesting paradox that people with resources often find it more difficult to give eagerly and sacrificially. They find it difficult to be cheerful givers. Jesus confronted this reality in Matthew chapter 19. He's talking with a rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler wants to know what it looks like to have a relationship with God according to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus tells him to obey the commandments. He said, I've done all those things. So then in Matthew 19, 21, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And what we see in the text here is this ruler likes the idea of following the rules of having eternal life. But when Jesus tells him, hey, you know what you're lacking? You know what you need to be complete, to be mature? You need to sell your possessions, be generous towards poor people, and then come follow me. And instead of saying, you know what, that's exactly what I'm gonna do, he turns away sad. Jesus goes on in later verses to say to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And a lot of smart people have tried to figure out what exactly Jesus means when he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And we try to do all these mental gymnastics to explain away what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is saying is rich people oftentimes let their stuff come between them and God. And it's really difficult for them to have a correct relationship with their stuff. And therefore, it's difficult for them to have a correct relationship with God. Jesus says actually that it is only possible because of God that rich people can even enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26 of Matthew 19, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible With God, everything is impossible. Well, if we are wealthy, which we are, how in the world are we going to learn to be cheerful givers? Well, I think if we're going to learn to give cheerfully, we have to embrace two truths. The first truth is that possession is temporary. I'm going to repeat that. Possession is temporary. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. We have a tendency to try to fill our our lives and our houses and our bank accounts with as much stuff as we can because we think that those things will last forever. But all of those things have the same end. They're going to be gone. One day, everything you've earned your entire life, everything you've saved up for, everything you've bought, everything you hope to pass along to your kids and grandkids will disappear from the face of the earth because possession is temporary. The second truth that we have to embrace is that everything is already God's anyway. Psalm 24 says it this way, The earth is the the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. We need to understand that when it comes to stuff, when it comes to resources, when it comes to opportunities, we aren't the owners. We are stewards. A steward is someone who is managing and looking after someone else's property. When it comes to all of the things that we own, we need to realize that God actually owns those. And he's allowing us to manage them. And he asks us to manage them well. I like to think of it like this. We need to hold on to our resources loosely because possession is temporary and God already owns everything anyways. It's interesting though because generosity has a different effect than sometimes we realize. When we learn to hold loosely onto our resources and to be generous with our stuff and have the proper attitude with the approach to our our material possessions, generosity has an interesting effect. There's one study that found this. 77% of high generosity respondents, people who filled out the survey and responded to it, reported they felt happy daily. This compares to 62% of low generosity people. More than 80% of Hodges' generosity people felt that their life was meaningful compared to 60% who fell into the less generous category. Hodges' generosity respondents to this report uh, said that they felt like they had more people in their lives who they could count on for support and close friendship. High-generosity people reported higher rates of satisfaction with their possessions, their homes, their vehicles. 70% of them said they felt satisfied with their work compared to 49% of low-generosity people. See, God doesn't just want us to be generous with our stuff because God needs our stuff. God isn't greedy. He doesn't want our stuff. God wants us to be cheerful givers because God knows that generosity is a better attitude to have and a better way to approach life. God loves a cheerful giver because God actually is a cheerful giver. When we learn to give eagerly and sacrificially, what we're really doing is following God's lead because God is the most generous, cheerful giver that has ever existed.